2: Go behind the scenes and explore the real-life history that informed the limited series based on James Clavell's best-selling novel. Search FX's Shogun
0: wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Alienware. alienware.com slash deals that's alienware.com slash deals tax
1: season is approaching bringing potential extra cash your way
2: rather than spending it all on an expensive deal filled with yada yada from your current wireless plan consider switching to metro by t-mobile from no contracts no credit checks no surprises and Nada yada yada.
1: You don't take yada yada in life. Don't take yada yada from your wireless provider.
2: Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts,
0: no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada. Stop by one of over six thousand Metro stores nationwide.
3: Hey, Sarah. I
4: love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. Omg, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented.
3: Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids like yours, and all content is fully human-moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today.
2: Okay, let's set the scene here. Uh, uh, Let's say that an alien, uh, like, we're all hanging out. Uh, and an and honest-to-goodness extraterrestrial crashes our, our barbecue, right? Or a uh, luau or whatever we're doing. As and long as it's
1: outdoors and socially distant.
2: Yeah, yeah, and it's outdoors, socially distant, and uh, the alien tries to communicate with us. How would you try to communicate with an alien?
0: Mm, yeah, how would you? Uh music, I, I don't math, I don't know. Yeah, what do dude. they do in that arrival movie? It was some combination of those things,
1: yeah, Arrival's got some really interesting stuff attempting to speak uh, in tones and and ways that those creatures would speak. I mean, uh spoiler alert, but you know, I like I like your thinking, Ben. It's more close encounters of the third kind kind of thing. I wonder, but what happens if an extraterrestrial species is attempting to reach us from their planet? Like, what happens then? Who gets that message? And could it be kept a secret?
2: Yeah, and how how would we even understand what they're communicating? These are questions that we do not solve in today's (laughs) classic episode.
0: From UFOs to ghosts and government cover-ups, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know.
1: hello everyone welcome back to the show the big show my name is Matt
2: and I am Ben and uh, that's our super producer Noel behind the behind the boards
1: or the keys yeah we're just gonna point to him he's right over there
2: so if you have a very specific form of probably non-existent synesthesia you can feel our fingers moving and it probably you know feels the way lavender smells or something I don't know
1: yeah it feels feels very very nice I'm assuming.
2: So it's interesting that our segue or our, our banter at the top of this episode concerns uh, sensation, right? Uh, because that is one of the abiding universal characteristics of life. It's the ability to sense something, right? From your outside environment and then in some way to respond to it. Mm-hmm. But when we, when we think about What life actually is. Oh, and spoiler alert. I I forgot, Matt, what's the name of, uh, this,
1: this episode? The search for extraterrestrial life. So life not on
2: planet earth. Yes. And also, uh, you know, bonus points to us as a species if we find someone intelligent until they wipe us out. (laughs) Yes. So anyway, we're talking about, we're talking about this search for life somewhere out there in, uh, the darkness of space. And one thing that we have to do before we even address the idea of looking for life is define it, right? What, what exactly yeah. is this whole life shtick?
1: Well, life, life is the, it's the thing or the condition that separates, uh, you know, plants from inorganic material and animals from inorganic material. So kind of like what you said, Ben, the, uh, the ability to sense the outside world to take in stimuli. So, uh, that it also includes the, uh, the ability to grow the capacity for growth. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and reproduction. You have to be able to make copies of yourself. Um, you have to have some kind of functional activity, um, uh, either whether that's movement mm-hmm. or I don't know. It's really slow rate of growth. Yes. Right? Uh, okay. And there's also one other thing, the continual change mm-hmm. until death. Although. That's not necessarily true because yeah. we've seen some of the animals we've talked about and some of the immortality stuff. Oh There's
2: yeah, like Nutricula, Turtopsis, the, yes. uh, isn't that the jellyfish that ages yes. and then turns into a child? So again? essentially
1: just going through entropy.
2: Yeah. Okay. I see. I thought I like the way you say that last part better, going through entropy. And we know there are different types of life. Um, well, there are different types of hypothetical yes. life. So, we are carbon based life forms. You listening to this right now is an overwhelming probability that you are also a carbon based life form unless extraterrestrials or, uh, artificially intelligent programs have reached a level of which we are unaware.
1: Or unless we're all just holograms inside some huge matrix.
2: Right. Yeah. Ins- inside the dream
1: of, uh, some gigantic turtle, and uh, in that sense, the carbon and it's just bits of data.
2: Yeah, just a, a firing synapse, uh, synapse rather. Uh, so we know that there are theoretical forms of biology that could exist, other life forms. Uh, it's possible that carbon might not be the only creature in the game. Silicon-based life forms, ammonia, methane, hydrogen fluoride, and and so on, right? And this concept of non-carbon life does a very important thing theoretically. It opens the door, it widens the spectrum for xenobiologists and sci-fi fans and so on to look at a wider range of possible homes for alien life, right? Exactly. Um,
1: so now you can look at, you can look at a planet that isn't, that there isn't a lot of water on the planet. Great. There isn't a lot of carbon, but there might be uh, a bunch of silica, a bunch of ammonia. There you go and Maybe there might be yeah. bad, uh, methane lakes meth- methane pools all over the planet. Mm-hmm. Hey, let's go check those out.
2: Yeah, I and I think that's I think that's a fascinating thing. I want to go back to types of life toward the end of this for something that's complete speculation. But one thing that we learn in our continual search for extraterrestrial life is that we still have a lot to learn about terrestrial life. There's still a lot we don't know like for instance what is the most common life form?
1: well, can I guess yeah, I guess for yeah i I would guess some type of bacteria bacterium,
2: yeah, I would have too, and uh the it's it's interesting because there's a great article I think it was in Smithsonian that tells us that a okay here we go it's my first mispronunciation of the <laughs> episode uh pelagibacter. Ubic. Which sounds sort of like some Eastern European shoe store. Mm-hmm. Um, this, uh, single celled organism is usually cited as the most common organism in the world. It's, it's the statistically, if you were rolling the dice to become an organism, the odds are that you would become this one.
1: Wow. That's crazy to think about.
2: Yeah. But, um, That might not be the case because it turns out there's something
1: that eats P. Unique. Okay. That is also widespread, just all over the place. Yep. Numerous. Yep. It's a Uh, virus. Oh, wow. Okay. So here's
2: the thing. This this virus, uh, P. Unique, has four different viruses that parasitize it or you know prey on it mm-hmm. and one of those which has the incredibly um unmemorable name of htvco1op is uh the most common of those viruses okay and so if we consider a virus to be a living thing then it turns out that our boy htv is uh the world's most common life form but therein lies the debate right because yeah he's is a virus. a virus
1: alive is it well it does it meet all of the different criteria well it mm-hmm. it definitely meets the reproduction yeah right for sure um it has functional activity i would i would argue mm-hmm. well i don't i don't again i don't know how that is it necessarily does, defined but yeah
2: functional activity is a little bit i don't know a little, little bit softball right what about capacity for growth
1: Mm, and Well, it can change. It can because re- reproduction and growth is very different. Yeah, if we differentiate those, I will have to talk to someone, Ben.
2: Well, because oh, the thing is that a virus, for people who don't think a virus counts as life, a virus has to use the metabolic process of its host in order to grow and reproduce. There you go. Okay. So it's it, you know a virus is inherently a parasite. Um. So this means that they they may not actually be life or they're somewhere between life, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, Their third category. Right, yeah. And there's some weird, maybe there's some weird spectrum of life to not mm-hmm. life.
4: Tired of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with Anabay. Anabay, the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out. Where designer quality meets budget-friendly prices.
2: Join Metro. They help you stay ahead of the game with nada, yada, yada.
1: That means no contracts, no credit checks, and no surprises. Outsmarting yada,
2: yada means, uh, you know, taxis and stuff. Shady
1: subscriptions.
2: Did you guys ever order something online and you thought it was just like a one-time purchase, but
0: then... You found yourself subscribed? Yeah, I had to call and stop payment on something because I had subscribed to it through Apple Pay. And even though I had like put a new card on there, it still was tied to whatever card was associated with my Apple Pay. So I had to like go through this whole process of getting it pulled. It was really, really annoying.
1: Well, that'll never happen with Metro by T-Mobile because you don't take yada yada in life. And You're not going to take yada yada from your wireless provider.
2: Metro has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises,
0: and nada yada yada helping you stay ahead without compromising on things you love the most. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of
2: But okay, so we know that our world
1: is teeming with life. Yes, it's, it's everywhere. Ants. I, I was gonna just start naming off animals. Go for it, yeah. But, but there's just a ton of it. Yeah, a ton of it everywhere. Snakes we're we're doing are a everywhere. Yes, <laughs> on on planes. But we're we're yeah. doing a great job of. Uh, kind of getting rid of it, thinning the herd of life, right? Humans are. Right. Yeah. We're, we're getting rid of a lot of the higher order animals for
2: sure. Mm-hmm. There are more, uh, tigers in captivity, I think in Texas than there are in the wild. Great. Or in the United States, um, which may be a podcast for a different day, but if, if there are so many different types of life that we know of and the most common life, is still debatably life in, on mm-hmm. on our planet then um the question is why haven't we found anything else
1: well uh, it's a, a very simple answer the universe is f- huge <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, it's true yeah okay. the, I, I mean come on the universe is all if we're going to talk about definitions the universe is every single uh just all of the matter All of the energy, all of it that exists, that is the universe. That's a lot of stuff. And, you know, if you think about just the pale blue dot, that image, or, you know, some of the things that Carl Sagan talked about, just how insignificant our tiny little planet is, and even how small our sun is in comparison to other stars, Mm. you just realize that we have this massive amount of life just on this tiny little speck of dust. You just know that there there has to be something else out there somewhere. You know,
2: I think of it sometimes where uh have you ever seen an animal in a weird place
1: like you're in a grocery store and yes. you see a bird and you think, how'd that bird get here? I've seen a little blue tailed lizard uh at a gym one time. Uh-huh. and I was just going, what? What are you doing in here? Yeah. Get a workout or something. I'm trying to take
2: them outside or somewhere where they belong. I wonder, uh, the comparison of the pale blue dot makes me think of that. But if if we were to talk numbers about the size of the known universe, it's so big that we do not have the
1: technology to figure out how big it is, right? Yeah, so, we can read it to a certain extent, but that's just yeah. as far as our technology has gotten us yet.
2: Right, yeah, we can see... um the the part that we can detect extends in all directions for about ten billion light years. Based on these observations, experts believe the universe is between ten and maybe twenty billion years old, uh, and the Earth is relatively relatively a rookie in the game, being only four and a half billion years old.
1: Yeah, and life didn't originate on Earth for a long time after it was created. Right. Yeah. We're still figuring that part out, too. Uh, so we've got these
2: people called cosmologists, study cosmology, the study of the, just the whole universe, which yep. sounds like a pretty ambitious degree, right? Yep. And uh, th- according to some of these folks, uh, the universe has no limits in space or time. Um, galaxies seem to be traveling away from Earth and each other at ever-increasing speeds. Providing the basis for the concept that the entire universe, as well as the part we know about, is just expanding. Just going bigger and, it just and bigger goes and bigger out. Bigger. Yep. Uh, and, you know, that's, that's really cool. It's a little bit of a lonely
1: place to think about, right? But, uh, and by the way, if, if you want to know more about this, this kind of stuff, cosmology, I highly recommend you check out Cosmos if you're not already watching it on uh, National Geographic and uh, Fox. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic.
2: You know what? I'm glad you mentioned Cosmos. Uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson had another show before that that was also good. And, Nova. And you and I are also pretty big fans of, uh, various science shows. And these science shows, inevitably, if they touch on space, they have to tackle some of the big questions, which are first, there's, um, there's this huge paradox, right? Life on earth is Everywhere, some forms of life that maybe don't even seem like good ideas are Mm -hmm. still around. And then we have the universe, the biggest empty room in reality. Now, of course, it's not empty, right? Just mostly. We know there has to be something. So it appears that the problem with finding alien life, which we've talked about in this podcast before, is that the gap in space isn't even as worrisome as the gap
1: in time, right? Absolutely. And as we know, they are interconnected. Mm. Uh, so, so people, people have kind of pondered some of these things even before they really understood what the universe was, what it was made of, what the galaxies were, right. uh, you know, even what rotated, what orbited around what. Uh, people have been looking up and thinking, oh man, what the heck is going on up there? And, you know, we come up with stories about the heavens and, and beings that live up in those stars. Sure, yeah. Um And so, so there's been this constant search, at least internally right. for what the heck is going on up there. And uh, in 1959, this thing called SETI came around the, which is the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. And, uh, and in that year, 1959, uh, Cornell physicist uh, Giuseppe uh, Cocconi, I, I don't think Cosoni no. uh, and uh, Philip Morrison, they published this article in Nature, which is uh, isn't that uh, a journal? And they pointed out the, that the potential for using microwave radio uh, w- they could use that to communicate or at least send signals. Outward, and then also possibly receive signals that were coming in towards earth,
2: right, and this was a uh this was a, a very interesting finding um before we go a little bit further, let me go ahead and establish some of the other things here. There's the thing called the Fermi paradox we need to know about okay if life exists, why haven't we found it we you and I talked about that with the time and space, and then um there's something else we'll explore called the Drake Equation. Yes. And let's introduce that guy now. Uh turns out in the 60s, he is a young radio astronomer, which was a thing even back then. He had come to the same idea about microwave radio, and he conducted the first microwave radio search for signals from other solar systems in 1960 in uh, spring, I believe. So here's what he did. For two months, he aimed a uh antenna in West Virginia in the direction of two nearby stars that he thought were kinda like our Sun. He tuned his receiver to what uh he called the magic frequency, which we talked about in our video mm-hmm. series, right, Matt? Uh so what what's the
1: magic frequency? Well, it is the twenty one centimeter line or the one thousand four hundred and twenty megahertz. Uh, mm-hmm. That's that's what your uh that's the signal. Yeah. That's the frequency of the signal. Yeah. It's a neutral
2: hydrogen. And this turns out to be a spot on the radio dial that Cosoni or Kokoni and Morrison also believed had significance. Um, Drake's two months searching the skies for life um, did garner a response and got some interest, but not
1: not from the intelligent life he was looking for yeah. instead of aliens. It was terrestrial. Uh, it came from the Soviets. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in the 1960s, uh, the Soviet Union pretty much held sway over the SETI project. And uh, it frequently just it would adopt all these bold strategies. And rather than searching like uh, nearby stars, the Soviets, they just basically set up these almost omnidirectional antenna. And they would observe just these wide swaths of the sky And they would just kind of count on the existence of at least a few advanced civilizations somewhere out there in this, you know, the scope that they're looking through. Um, And they would they just assume that one or more of them would be radiating some kind of uh, transmission power Uh from their planet or from whatever it is that they inhabit.
2: Yeah. And, and, you know, probably be communist too, right? That was the, <laughs> if we're making assumptions. Uh, yeah.
1: They were <laughs> sort would of be like,
2: uh, hive mind ish. Yeah. Sort of like the, um, the Soviet search for Shambhala when they were, when they said, well, clearly this mystery of religion and city is real. They're going <laughs> to be communist. Uh, so w- what I hope is coming out here in, in this part of the show is that SETI itself, while there is a SETI institute, while there are SETI projects, there's um it's much less centralized than you might think. SETI is just an acronym. It's a that, pursuit. Right. That search for extraterrestrial intelligence. So uh uh different groups, some of which may be familiar, some of which may be unfamiliar, have messed with it. And uh there's a wide swath, to use your word, of opinions about this. So NASA even got involved, right?
1: Oh yeah. So Uh, kind of the beginning of the 1970s, uh, the Ames Research Center, that's in, uh, Mountain View, California, by the way, uh, they began to kind of consider the technology required for a true search that would be effective enough, you know, to, to prove this stuff. So a team of outside experts under the direction of this guy, Bernard Oliver. From, uh, Hewlett Packard, right? That's correct. He, he made this study for NASA, which was known as Project Cyclops. You've probably heard of that before if you're a fan of this show. Um, and the Cyclops report, it basically gave an analysis of SETI science and, uh, kind of the tech issues that they were dealing with at the time. It's really the foundation on which, uh, pretty much all of the subsequent work from SETI is based upon.
2: Yeah. And it was, uh, some pretty good news too, because during this time, more and more people began to believe Hey, this, we might have the science. There's something to it. To actually, yeah, get cooking with gas here, or excuse me, microwave radio. <laughs> and, uh, so the Ames Research Center had some SETI programs, uh, and so did JPL in Pasadena, and they started working together to do targeted searches, which is opposite of what the USSR was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but eventually, Congress terminated the funding so we're wasting money we're throwing real dollars at imaginary beings essentially, essentially. Or yeah we can't find them so people began getting disappointed in SETI but SETI continues today and uh, we'll tell you how the search for intelligent life is going along with allegations of cover-ups after a word from our sponsor
4: tired of spills and stains on your sofa Wash away your worries with Anabay. Anabay, the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out, where designer quality meets budget-friendly prices.
2: Join Metro. They help you stay ahead of the
4: game with nada, yada, yada.
1: That means no contracts, no credit checks, and no surprises.
2: Outsmarting yada, yada means, uh, you know, taxis and stuff. Shady subscriptions. Did you guys ever order something online and you thought it was just like a one-time purchase, but
0: then... You found yourself subscribed? Yeah, I had to call and stop payment on something because I had subscribed to it through Apple Pay. And even though I had, like, put a new card on there, it still was tied to whatever card was associated with my Apple Pay. So I had to, like, go through this whole process of getting it pulled. It was really, really annoying.
1: Well, that'll never happen with Metro by T-Mobile because you don't take yada yada in life and you're not going to take yada yada from your wireless provider.
2: Metro has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises,
0: and nada yada yada helping you stay ahead without compromising on things you love the most. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge
1: Hello, friend. Are you feeling cooped up? Well, yeah. Yeah, of course. Do you work too much? Sure. Doesn't everybody? No. Oh. So, what if I gave you the opportunity to take a vacation, a long, relaxing vacation?
2: Oh, yeah, I guess. But who can afford a vacation nowadays? I can only go to those boring places like, you know, a day trip an hour away or just kind of sit in my bathroom and put a different picture on the wall and pretend
1: I'm somewhere else. We know how you feel, friend. That's why we're offering you this rare opportunity to travel to space. Space, 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 space. To space? Where'd you go? Come back. Oh, yeah, sorry. I dropped my pen. So, friend, with space Station one, we can send you as far out into space as you'd like. Whoa. You can even bring your dog.
2: Oh, what?
1: Yes. Did you hear that, boy?
2: We love space, but how can we afford to go? I mean, we're just regular people. We're not millionaires or billionaires or astronauts. Well, here's the
1: thing. With Space Station One, we're offering discounted one-way trips to space. For you, up to two loved ones, and two pets.
2: Uh, wait, did you say one way trips?
1: Yes, friend. You'll never have to worry again about your tiresome job or those boring TV shows that get recycled and recycled. There are no ads on Space Station 1. Isn't that wonderful?
2: Yeah, and you're sure this has nothing to do with my history of political activism?
1: Actually, if you have a history of any kind of political activism, your first Space Station 1 Space Station is on the house. What?
2: Sign me up. Do you hear that, boy? We're going to space.
1: Space, 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 Sir? Did you want to go?
2: Sir? Oh, yeah. No, yeah, totally. Sign me up. Okay, all right, I was just
1: excited. No, it's fine. I just wanted to make sure because we've got all the paperwork and... Space Station One is in no way responsible
2: for costs occur on Earth while you are in space. We bear no responsibility for depressurization, bone loss, muscle mass loss, space fatness, synapse, tuberculosis, space cabin fever, exenobiology, astronaut attacks, astronaut-on-astronaut violence, meteor showers, meteor collisions, space eye, toe jam, gravity lump, boredom, or ennui. By agreeing to the terms of Station One's permanent one-way trip vacation into deep space, you voluntarily and irrevocably relinquish your rights to any terrestrial property, children, inventions, patents, or legal personhood.
1: Space Station One is brought to you by Illumination Global Unlimited. Okay,
2: and we're back. Now, uh, just as we go back in here, uh, to, to set up a quick laundry list, Matt. I was thinking we could each read off some
1: projects of SETI. Oh, great. There are a ton of these. Okay. I'm going to start with Project Ozma. Oh, that's the very first one, right? Yep. It's the first SETI search. It was conducted by astronomer Frank Drake that we talked about, and that was in 1960. Uh, then there's the Ohio State Big Ear SETI project launched in 73,
2: and that is the one that we mentioned in the video. That's where we got the wow signal, which, which is either a natural phenomenon that we have never heard of before or since, and still can't explain, Or somehow is a signal from intelligent life.
1: Either way, it's fascinating. Mm -hmm.
2: Uh, What happened to the big ear? Oh, it was shut down in 1997. For a golf course.
1: For a golf course, of course. Uh, Okay, so then uh, you've got Project Serendip that you may have heard of as well. That was launched by the University of California at Berkeley, and that was in 1979.
2: Yeah, NASA also had the HRMS, High Resolution Microwave Survey, in 1982
1: and discontinued in '93 when Congress cut the funding. Now you've got Project Meta. That this one's really cool. This was the Mega Channel Extraterrestrial Array, and it was launched at Harvard University in nineteen eighty-five and um it was meant to search eight point four million point five Hertz channels. And so then, really low frequency. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And then there's the Columbus Optical SETI Cosetti. Uh that's an earlier one in its uh nineteen nineties and it uh is searching for laser
1: signals. Then you got Project Beta, another familiar one possibly the Billion Channel Extraterrestrial array, array that was also launched at Harvard University in 1995 and, again, searching billions of channels. And then there's Project Phoenix, which SETI Institute uh, launched to continue the work of NASA. Project Argus, which launched in 96. And this was uh, SETI League's all-sky survey projects. So they're looking everywhere. Yep. That's sort of like shaking the entire haystack
2: and hoping to prick yourself on a needle. Ugh. Well, maybe that's unfair. Maybe. Uh, then there's the Southern Serendip, and then there's the one of the most exciting ones for anybody who feels like personally lending a hand to the search for intelligent
1: life. SETI at home. Uh, now, this, this is the... It came out in 1999, I think. I'm, I think that's around the time that I signed up for it. Um, and it was essentially, uh, literally a... A program that ran kind of behind the scenes on your computer and it just crunched data basically. It was analyzing data. Did you ever do that? Uh, yeah, I did it for a short time. I even did, did it time. here at How Stuff Works uh-huh. on my computer when I would go home. I, I would, remember that. Overnight it would be running steady at home.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so maybe this could be your
2: way or our way to pitch in and find intelligent life. But now, Noel, please, could I get some conspiracy music? Perfect. Thank you. The reason we're asking for this music, of course, is because now it's time to talk about whether there could be a cover-up. Because, Matt, you'll remember when we did our video, uh, a lot of you guys were commenting on YouTube uh, about how SETI has a secrecy clause. And yes, it does. Publicly disclose things, right? Can you tell me a little bit about that, Matt? So,
1: yeah, you got to think about, let's just think about the pursuit of science. Science, when you're conducting a study, um, you know, and then you have some findings that you really want someone to know about or you want the world to know about for, you know, fame, fortune and the advancement of science. You you generally make your your work known, you release it, you get it, uh, you send it to journals to get it peer reviewed. Right. And um, but. And that's, a, that's on a general wide level, but at the, at the localized level in the study that's occurring, the one study that a group of scientists is doing somewhere, that's usually kept pretty private. Okay. Because you don't want other scientists to know exactly what it is that you're looking at because uh, again, you're searching for, I, I use the phrase fame and fortune, but you don't, don't want to f- get scooped. Exactly. So that's just between scientists, right? Trying to keep things secretive, but. Right. There's another group that's even more tenuous, has a more tenuous relationship with us, with the individual scientists. Oh, I think I know what you're talking about. Well, yeah. The uh journalist, right? The media.
2: Yeah, that uh that does make sense because if you read uh news, whether on the internet, whether through a newspaper or, you know, on your local television, uh you realize over time that the that the media and journalists have a A tendency to grab something, sensationalize it and run with it. So if somebody publishes a study that says we found a certain type of amino acid when combined in this certain situation will do, you know, action X, then people will come out. People may well
1: come out with amino
2: acid has intelligence solving puzzles. You know, exactly. Um, well And
1: that's why the the press releases are so important for right. places like NASA, uh, the CDC, things like that. Or if you actually have a, you know, every once in a while you'll hear that NASA is going to make an announcement or the CDC will make an announcement. And they yeah. have a very public hey, and there's usually a PR person there right. trying to give out the message. Now, that works both ways in my mind, Ben. So it's not only is it trying to make clear what the information is, but uh, it's also it's trying to manage it. It's managing it. Exactly. It's spinning it.
2: Yeah. I, I see. That's the thing. Cause you and I talked about this too. Like we know that, you know, this guy uh, wrote a book called the eerie silence. Are we alone in the universe? Professor Paul Davies, he was the chair of uh, the SETI post detection science and technology task group for a while. And he said that the group, Themselves grappled with the need for public disclosure, but they ultimately decided to keep the to keep it behind closed doors. Kind of decisions because they were worried that if information leaked out prematurely, they might be in, for lack of a better phrase, a boy who cried wolf situation.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, well, you know, when yeah. the Wow signal came out, there was a huge media just outpouring of whoa and spe- like speculation, just saying, "What the heck was this thing? Is it aliens? Oh my God, we know now." We now know that we're not alone in the universe because of the wow signal.
2: Right. Yeah. And, uh, which yeah. may be true, but <laughs> it's not, <laughs> but it,
1: but you know, it's not a right. proven thing, right?
2: Right. Yeah. We, um, we look at that a little bit in our video series. Again, if you haven't checked it out, do check it out. Um, cause we learned some really cool stuff in there, uh, especially there's that one quote that, uh, Jerry Emmons says where he at the
1: very beginning of the video. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, I don't want to ruin it for you, but yeah, check it out. Check it out. Uh, so we also, I, I figured it was best for us to go straight to the source when we were talking about some of the conspiratorial stuff, whether there has been evidence that has been suppressed. So from SETI's, uh, frequently asked questions, they tackle a lot of this stuff. One question is, has SETI, uh, found life or evidence of life on other planets. The answer is no. Scientists have found no clear indications of life past or present beyond the earth. There have been tantalizing suggestions that the Viking mission might have detected evidence of microbial, microbial life on Mars or that there are fossil, fossil microbes in some Mars rocks, but they haven't been verified yet. Now, if you believe that there is an extraterrestrial contact with earth already, then of course, it's, it's easy to see how SETI could seem like smoke and mirrors. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? But, uh, I, I have to say it's, it's kind of difficult to believe that if there were extraterrestrials on the planet, it's, it's difficult to believe how that could remain a secret. Um, agreed. Unless now we're at one of my favorite parts of the episode two, Matt, which is where I kind of, I ask you, you ask me about this sort of stuff. I want to go ahead and jump into this right away. We talked earlier about the origin of life on Earth, Mm -hmm. right? Still kind of wishy-washy. We're still not sure exactly how it happened. But there's that great theory with that horrible name, which we've already mentioned on our podcast. Panspermia? Yeah, which would mean that if if it were true, it would mean that we were the alien
1: life form right that life yeah life was the alien life form <laughs> right
2: that uh to go with our virus analogy that if you picture earth as just a single celled organism right with everything that a virus needs to survive then somehow on a meteor uh we washed out into earth and then just started replicating
1: and now we're we're uh teeming over you know infesting the host organic Life. Wow. That's, uh, that's intense, man. I, for me, that's a, that's a hugely compelling argument for how life came about. I I know it's, it's a little tough because you have to assume that life existed somewhere else in order for it to get here.
2: It's kind of kicking the can down the road, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It's just (laughs) exactly. So it's not, it's not exactly answering our, our stuff, but, um, it all goes back to the idea of life as we know it, based on DNA, based on RNA. Um, what else could be out there? Could there be some other thing that doesn't use any of that? You know, um,
1: well, it's, it's a possibility. And that's the great thing about SETI. We've, we've allowed ourselves to think differently mm-hmm. through this search. And I think, man, Ben, I got to tell you, I think we're going to find some really soon with, with the new uh, telescopes, mm-hmm. with, I, I think we're going to at least find the trace of life. It's going to be microbial, it's going to mm-hmm. be tiny uh, microorganisms, but it's going to be there. There's another fascinating idea that I heard,
2: a conspiratorial idea, which was that uh, for ideological or religious reasons, uh, people in government and in the, executive levels of different scientific institutes were cooperating to destroy evidence of alien life like you know microbial stuff mm-hmm. uh so that it wouldn't shake the foundations of world religions you know i, I heard it sometimes for christianity um primarily for christianity It was a very interesting theory i didn't find too much to back it up mm-hmm. um one thing that I read specifically was citing the um the methodology of testing soil for life or testing uh dirt on Mars or the moon. Um there's a there's a method that the rovers use to heat up the uh we talked about this, right? Yeah, we did uh life on Mars, I think. Yeah, they so. they heat up the sample and incinerate it
1: essentially and then analyze the gases. Mm-hmm. So if there was something in there, they would, it would show up in the different gases, right? If it was right, carbon yeah, based. But what right. if it's not carbon based and then... oh, oh,
2: there are a couple of, uh, there are a couple of different, different ideas with that. That was an interesting theory to me. And I would, I would love to learn if there were, you know, is, is it possible that some sort of alien craft or alien culture interacted with earth at some point in history? it's possible. It's difficult to see how it could be plausible given the time and distance involved without going into some sort of, um,
1: extra dimensional idea. Right. Yeah. Um, I want to believe that stuff. You know that Yeah. everybody listening knows I want to believe. Absolutely. Fox Mulder over here. I hope you do too. That's, Uh, that's the, I think that's important. It's the, it's the inspiration and the imagination that keeps oh, yeah. us going. Absolutely. First off, if we didn't want to figure out what's
2: going on, if we didn't want to believe things, then uh, there would have been no progress as a species. Yeah, well, you why know? would
1: you even look into it?
2: And also, uh, clearly, the the most implausible thing, at all in this entire conversation, the most unreasonable, impossible thing is that there would not be other intelligent life somewhere in the universe. Given that there is an infinite size, that's the most ridiculous thing. That is literally the most ridiculous thing to think.
1: Thank you, Dr. Drake.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you for the Drake equation. God, it's time for us to go. And we didn't even get to the shadow biosphere, which I think we should talk about in the future. Um, we will.
1: Oh, right. We have to. Uh, But before we get out of here, really quickly, I just want to read this piece of listener mail. This comes from Charles B. He says, hello. I saw the video about aliens in Dulce, New Mexico. Yeah. Sorry about that. Sorry, It's my fault, guys. Blame it on me. It was my fault. Blame it on Um, both of us. He says, I'm from New Mexico, and I'm a lifelong resident. Ever since I was in grade school, Dulce has always been associated with aliens like Roswell, New Mexico, is. Uh, and he says, growing up and now in adulthood, the people in New Mexico, they they have an inside joke for Dulce, and that is Dulce is where the government kept all their aliens. Huh. Uh, all towns in northern New Mexico, even Dulce, are, are very rural, and the mass majority of these towns have only one high school. That kind of gives you an idea of how small they might be. Uh, he also says that many people in northern in the northern part of New Mexico still speak Spanish and are very close to one another. People and their families don't stay very far away from their homes and communities in northern New Mexico. Um, in a town like Dulce, it's very common to find two or three generations of intermediate and extended families living together and in small communities. So odds are finding people that may have personal insight on this alien matter might not be too difficult. Hmm. In the video, you spoke about the alleged security guard, Thomas Costello, and how there might be confusion about the spelling of his name, either C-O-S or C-A-S. And what Charles here suggests is that uh it may actually be Castillo, mm-hmm. like a uh, Spanish version sure. of it. Yeah. And he also says later on that it might not be Thomas, it might be Tomas. Mm-hmm. Uh, however... I kind of looked into it and found out that it is actually, uh, the alleged person is Thomas Edwin Costello. Ah, okay. Um, so I just wanted to let you know, by the way, thank you, Charles, for writing in and let us know. Yeah, thank you. That's interesting insight. Mm -hmm. Um, but we did a little more digging and we found out that it is Thomas Edwin Costello.
2: And we are going to keep digging. We hope that you enjoyed this episode, and we'd like to hear what we should cover in upcoming episodes. There are a couple ways to find us. We're all over the internet. Uh, check out Matt and I on Twitter. See us on Facebook, where we post a lot of stuff that we never get to do shows on. Mm-hmm. Right? I was really excited about that blood thing. I don't know. If we'll yeah. It. Um, and follow our website, stufftheydon'twantyoutoknow.com. If you want to get past the social media rigmarole and write to us, then we'd love hearing your stories. We are going to do an episode with that ghost story. Well, You, you persuaded us. We had so many people write in and say, don't tell us it's an amazing story and then not cover it. <laughs> it's
1: inevitable now.
2: So that is on the way. We promise. Um, in the meantime, let us know your stories. All of our best ideas and all of our best stories come from our listeners. So we want to hear from you.
1: And that's the end of this classic episode. If you have any thoughts or questions about this episode, you can get into contact with us in a number of different ways. One of the best is to give us a call. Our number is one 833 If you don't want to do that, you can send us a good old-fashioned email. We are Conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio.